from Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Come On Down, Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are building prototypes and game shows, which are also games. So if everyone is ready, let's start. I tried to vamp a bit, Mark, and it didn't work. <laughs> Called an audible there at the end. <laughs> I tried. To, yeah, I was like, okay, I've got five seconds. I've got to do what Mark did last episode. I've got to like vamp a bit. But apparently, this is a skill that requires practice. Here's the thing: you were set for perfect timing until you called your audible. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, it requires practice. <laughs> <sighs> That's the intro you got today, guys. We yep. have we have fun here. <laughs> In the noble robot office. We're still here, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, the novelty's quickly wearing off, though. <laughs> no. Um, so we had a little... We, t- we always record two episodes. Mm-hmm. We took a little break, and we were going to walk around the block. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we did was realize that I was parked in an illegal spot in front of a fire hydrant, <laughs> and we moved my car. <laughs> so we were still getting used to the neighborhood and all that. Yeah, it takes some time. Uh, I've been playing Deathloop. Yeah. yeah. How is it? It is fun. W- one thing that's kind of exciting about playing this game is that like the game just came out as of this recording. I guess it will have been out in a few weeks mm-hmm. by the time this comes out. But um like it just came out and I'm playing it, so like I'm caught up with other people <laughs> oh. <laughs> on a triple A game that's relevant to the conversation. And you usually don't do that. No, right. like I've been playing humankind, but nobody's talking about humankind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it's been kinda um that's been kind of exciting. Also the game is fun. Yeah. Um it's uh the main character is black. He's very black. <laughs> I like that a lot. because um, I mean there's just How not a lot of black is he? <laughs> He's so... Pl- I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> I just appreciate being able to play as a, you know, um, a black character. Yeah. Um, and it, not just like... I mean, there are characters who are black, but this guy's like like his own personality, sort of. It's like... like I think a lot of times when you like play as a, a, a character with a, of, a, of a particular ethnicity, they sometimes just kind of come off as generic because other people are just trying to encapsulate Right. Them. It's not to use a video game term, a skin. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're playing as a character. I, I enjoy that. Um, That's cool. I, lo- I love games, like first-person games, mm-hmm. with, with richly defined main characters. Yeah. Too many games have the silent protagonist, which has its place, but right. I'm just not as much into it. I, I, don't, I don't think it's as good as other people think that I is. I wish the main character talked more, frankly. Yeah. Um, he kind of, after like, like the beginning, like he talked a lot. I was like, yeah, this is great. But now he doesn't talk as much. Um, a little disappointed. That's kind of bummer. Um, but the game's pretty cool. Like, what's interesting, one thing that, like, I think you would actually enjoy, Mark, is that, like, there's a lot of, like, detective work. You need to figure out. Ooh. <laughs> Re- recon, right? Yeah, recon uh, stealth. Yeah, exactly. You need to figure out, I'm you excited. need to figure out, like, what, why the loop is happening. Yeah. And you're trying to stop it. Um, so, like, you're trying to figure out how to stop it. Um, there, there's eight people you need to kill um, in order to stop the loop from happening. Mm-hmm. But you only have four periods of the day in order to do it and when the day ends the day resets so like you have to figure out how to kill eight people in four days you can mm-hmm. only kill and they're only in certain locations at certain times so you need to figure all that out so like that's Sounds a lot so of the cool. planning process and stuff. right so yeah. it, it's been described a little bit like a roguelike but it's almost more like a point and click adventure game kind of yeah yeah i was i was trying to describe it to my brother as a rogue. he's been playing it too yeah uh, and i was trying to describe it to my brother as a roguelike he's like no it's not a roguelike there's no randomization i was like well <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it still feels like roguelike to me. And he's like, no, it's not. We had a whole argument. Uh, <laughs> as we're wont to do. You just need to bring a portable microphone with you and we can put that on Patreon. 
So here are your choices, Charles. You can either continue to disagree with me on mic, or you have to just agree with me. Yeah. And we won't. Oh, I don't. The mic is right. Not if he wants stop. to fight with you, he's got to give us content. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, then I can get paid to argue. <laughs> oh my gosh, the dream. <laughs> Anyways, the game's good. I recommend it. And I am not going to play it anytime soon because I still have to play Hades, which I haven't started. <laughs> still, even though you guys voted for it on Twitter weeks ago, um, but I got it distracted by Firewatch, which I had started many, many months ago, but I hadn't finished. Um, and then I picked it up again while Hades was downloading. <laughs> and now I'm going to finish that first. Yeah. And then I'll do Hades and then I'll do Deathloop. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. I might have played it by then because I think I'll probably pick it up. Yeah. I'm trying, there's not a lot of the AAA games that would take my time the next month, I think. Yeah, it's worth playing. I do like a good, strong protagonist. Like Firewatch is actually a good example. Yeah. Oh, true. yeah. Yeah. Really like defined personality with history and sense of humor and like you see a space and everything, even though like you're in first person, so you're embodying that character the entire yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sounds like Deathloop has some of the same stuff going on. So you've been playing Deathloop recently. Uh-huh. What else have you been doing, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> Building prototypes. Hey. Oh. <laughs> we did it. Um, and and I'm, I'm sure listeners are like, what? You've talked about prototypes before. Um, and you'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I looked into our, our, our website, which is so well organized and so easy to search for. Uh, cough, cough. Check it out. Cough, cough. Nicegames.club. Um, <laughs> and like, I realized that we had talked about prototypes like three times before. Yeah. Um, but this I'm going to try to frame this specifically about building prototypes because um, I think in other times we talk about like what a prototype is and stuff like that more mm-hmm. from a design process from a perspective, design yeah. process perspective yeah. and I mean frankly the design process and the development process of a prototype is kind of similar um, at least in the in the, in the, in the, the way you want to go about it you want to go about it fast um, but I yeah I want to I want to approach it from a different angle because um, I've been doing that a lot for my my, my current job, so yeah, uh, I guess I just want to talk about my experience with that and all of the different avenues of ways that I've made games. I still think that it's important to build a prototype as quickly as you can, get all that stuff down so you can just play the game and know what you're making. And like, I definitely felt that when I like the first day I started at Future Club, I just started prototyping, <laughs> and they were like, "Wow, we can actually play the game and move and stuff. This is great." Um, like it really felt like a real game at that point for them, and I understood what the heck I was building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. like that was very valuable. Yeah, too. right. Because this is a scenario where uh, you've built a lot of prototypes, mm-hmm. but this might, and in your previous job, it probably worked a little differently. Yeah, but you're 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 building a prototype of somebody else's design document, and you're presenting to them, yes. giving them options, and they have done all this design work, but then they can't see it, and so it's a it's an interesting it's a colleague collaboration process now yeah. for you yes. in a way that's probably different than you've experienced yeah before. yeah in the past um, if I made a prototype it was for myself um, and we were you know just kind of trying to figure out what it is we wanted to make yeah um, in the process like I'm thinking about how we did it with Vengeance and like at my previous job when I made a prototype the purpose of the prototype was sort of to pitch it to the higher my boss I guess to like figure out whether or not this game is worth pursuing to complete to completion um or like just sometimes i just prototype to explore the space i think in all of those instances it's best to do it as quickly as possible i think that like uh, I, I think you can get st- stuck not just with the design but i think you can also get stuck in like trying to figure out how to code this thing correctly sometimes you just need to just code it it's going to be real nasty and it might um cause you problems 
You're going to throw it all out eventually. Yeah, eventually yeah. you're going to throw it all out, right? Or a lot of it out anyways. Um, some of that stuff is, the ideas are worth salvaging, but you don't necessarily have to keep the code mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, I think it's important, in fact, to just like acknowledge that the, the, the code that you're typing up, you know, making this prototype is not worth keeping. And so you can use that to your benefit by like building in an engine or um, in an environment that you're most familiar with. Um, you know, I, I prototyped in Unity. Um, I imagine actually that um, the uh, my, my, my current job probably would have benefited from like trying to code some of the aspects of this game in the engine that they were familiar with in the past. I imagine that would have been beneficial for them because like then they would have had a better idea of it when it, yeah. it was brought onto the team. Right. Um, a lot of people still prototype in Flash. Yep. Hmm. Because yeah. it's very easy and you can just draw on the screen and you get immediate access to it. You can create the assets in there as well. Yeah. More than you can in another full featured editor like Unity or something. Yeah. But then, you know, I mean, it, it's so depreciated now that it also gives you the, a great sense of like of nothing being precious. Yeah. Because there's no way right. you're keeping any of that stuff. Right. Unless you're programming in hacks and that's, you know, mm-hmm. another story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to have bad code in there because like that's not what the point is. Mm-hmm. Um the point is so you know what you're doing. It's a little bit different with the prototype that I'm building now because we're also, we're first trying to figure out, you know, try to understand the design of the game. Um, and it felt like things were kind of working out after I, you know, put all of these features into the game. Yeah. Um, but we also want to eventually create this prototype. We want to, yeah, we want to pitch it to, to publishers. Um, eventually, we'll want to create this prototype to, like, also feel like a vertical slice of the game. Yeah. So publishers can understand, you know, what the game is we're trying to make. And so I think that's like kind of a different purpose. Um, so I'm going to try to talk about that later down the line, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one thing that is kind of nice about like building a prototype is that like if you've got time to do it, you can also use the prototype to like create like your first pass at tools that you will eventually want to use down the line for the actual game. Mm-hmm. Um, because then, you, you know, you're, you're um, doing two things. You're figuring out how you will, you know. You're building your prototype out, but you're also making tools that will increase your productivity in the future. Yeah. Um, and that might not be something you want to throw out all the way. You can use that to your benefit. I've been building a couple of tools and things and improving them as I have time. Also, you know, if you're building a prototype, you're going to learn how you're going to want to learn how to do new things because it's a, it's a new game. you're making. And that's good. So you should take advantage of that. You know, learning's good. Uh, and oh, I, I think the most like one of the other most important things is to make sure that the scope of the prototype is small. Mm-hmm. You don't want it big. Yeah, you don't want a prototype. You don't even want a prototype an actual level of your like the game that you eventually want to make. Just like make a real small tutorial level, so you can understand you know the different aspects of the game. Right, the main verbs of the player yes. experience. Yeah, right? exactly. If that's exactly. like if you're making a cover shooter. It's like one encounter, maybe half an encounter, mm-hmm. maybe just one enemy and one piece of cover. Yeah, like mm-hmm. is, is is enough to pr- sell the idea to yourself. Yeah, your prototype, maybe not to a publisher, but right. but certainly to prove it out. Yeah, yeah, your prototype could be like you know a minute long. Yeah, like if you could play it and feel it and, and realize that oh you need to move faster or this is this whole like aspect of the design doesn't quite work or this part works really well you know all of those things you'll figure out as you're doing it. Right. So like and and it's easier to code is you know this was what is most important. Yeah. Also play test the game. So Wait, me- really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I test the game. <laughs> See, let me ask you. So mm-hmm. the, you know, you and I are both uh, uh, designer developers. Yes. So um, 
it sometimes you end up doing both at the same time. Right. And so it can be kind of difficult when you're building a prototype based on a document that either you have written or decisions you have made mm-hmm. or that a team has made that you're part of. Yeah. Is when you're building out the prototype, what happens when there's an unanswered question you have to answer while building it? Ooh. Um, I that's a good question. I just make a decision on the fly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then bring it up to the designer. Unless it's like unless I like literally have no idea how to go on the mm-hmm. about on the direction, then I'll ask the team. You consult, sure. Then I'll consult, yeah. But what if the question is the the answer to the question needs to be proven out by the prototype? Do you make two prototypes or like do you just oh. Um, I, I've done that in the past. Okay. Um, like when I, I made a prototype for Rhythm Rumble, like there was a couple of different directions that we could go with. I think eventually we ended up going with, you know, one of the directions, obviously. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no, we went with none of them. Yeah. Threw the whole game out. It's possible too. <laughs> it is possible too. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, I did end up making two different prototypes and we just played them together to have a better understanding. And it, when I was working on Rhythm Rumble though, like I was a designer too. Yeah. Um, with the game I'm working on now, I'm not really a designer, I'm just a coder. Um, I help with design questions and decisions and stuff, but like I mostly just build out the design that was given to me. But in Rhythm Mumble, it was valuable to have those different builds because then people would play it, you know, and you get feedback and you could iterate off of that. And I think so, like for a period of time, I was kind of supporting two different builds. It was like for a week or two. Right. It wasn't that long. Um, and you don't want to like sustain two builds for a very long period of time. That's That's right. not a good use of your time, I think. But it sounds um, like the fear of that should also not prevent you from trying a couple of things, wasting a little time because I think it helps answer some questions. It's de- it's valuable. Well, yeah, and like uh, when you get to the actual production process of the game, you yeah, you're gonna want to have those answers. You want to be confident in the answers you pick. Yeah, even if it like you could have went in both of the directions, but like if you know why you went in this direction, why it made sense, then you can you know better answer those questions and better pitch that to like um um. um a publisher down the line mm-hmm. um, or I don't know, somebody who's play testing the game going like, why did you do it this way? You know, you can answer <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. Um, so what I'm, I think we've probably talked about this specific takeaway on other prototyping episodes, but mm-hmm. just to kind of summarize what I'm hearing so far is when it comes to your code, and this probably goes for other types of prototypes as well that aren't necessarily focused on like gameplay or mechanics or the code. Yeah. Um, but don't feel like, even if your code that you make for the prototype doesn't end up in the final game, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's wasted effort, you know, yes. right? Like, because you need to answer that. You have a question that you need to answer. There's a hypothesis you need to prove. And you also need to develop your understanding of the results of that hypothesis to the point where you can communicate that to people who haven't been involved in the development of the game. Yes. Right? So it's not just about answering the question. It's not just about figuring out how you want to execute on a specific aspect of the game. You also need to... Um, develop your understanding of it on like a like, with a language around that particular yeah. problem. Well, yeah, and I like the way you framed it. It's like an experiment. You're like experimenting with this game. You want to make sure, like, you had a hypothesis. The hypothesis is the game idea, the design that you developed. Um, and now you're testing that hypothesis by creating a prototype and playing it, and figuring out if it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, uh, and iterations cheaper. Iterations cheaper. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting because thinking about. Um, like where you want what all the questions you want answered, all the things you need to do, so that you don't have to do all that work during production time. Right. But what's interesting about that is that you know we we talk we're sort of a believers in like the agile method mm. here on the show. Yeah. But that gets less and less practical the further down production you get. Mm-hmm. You're kind of building a building. Yeah. You can't on the, once you get to the fifth floor, you can't iterate anymore. 
Yeah. In the same way. Well, but but you but you 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 have to you, you don't want to lose your ability to do it at all. And so the yeah. the the bigger, messier, more iterative prototype process you have, the more benefit you can get from a a more iterative approach. And then you can feel a lot more confident when you when you when making those changes is so expensive yes. in terms of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's like one thing. Um, I think that's an important thing to bring up is that like making sure that like you can change values and things initially and then like you can kind of lock those values down as you, you know, actually develop the game mm-hmm. is valuable too. Like I, uh, right now, um, the game that we're making, you know, has movement and we have like, I, uh, exposed the movement speeds of the characters. Um, so that, you know, people can adjust it and feel for what makes sense for the movement that they want for the yeah. game to make sense. Um, but I mean, eventually you're going to want to just lock those down and make that a constant and not have that exposed anymore. You know, now that I'm thinking about it with vengeance, we didn't do that. I think we just left the, the values the same. We just never changed the values. Yeah. Which is a little dangerous, but like if you don't, if you never change the values, you effectively locked down anyway. Right, right, and that, that's like a, a tools thing. It's like you have all these, yeah. It's uh, you want to keep just the things that are adjustable, visible to the designer yes. who's 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 going to tweak them. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, actually, I probably exposed too many things. There's a lot of numbers in there. Some of the stuff that I have. In in vengeance, not it. Well, oh. in vengeance too, but also in this uh, the, the prototype I'm working on now. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. Yeah, you mean and because you are creating a prototype that's meant to help um, define the boundaries of a specific thing, but you have values that are beyond the scope of that specific thing that are exposed. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of times when you make decisions, you kind of just set it, and then that's what it's set at. But sometimes you just need to write it down somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's <Yeah. laughs> very true. Um, so I think I've been doing some of the work of translating developer language that you guys are using to non-developer mind stuff that I can handle. (laughs) Um, But I also want to hear more just because I started to get more into programming and I want to continue that work. Uh, I want to hear a little bit more Stephen about some of the specific like tactics that you use as a developer, as a programmer, when you are um, building out a prototype for that kind of small experiment that you've described. You just talked about like one of the, one of the tactics that you use is to, um, expose certain variables to designers so that they can like change certain values yes. that pertain to that specific prototype. Yes. So what are some other like, strategies or tactics that you use? Those are good questions. Uh, I think, I, I feel like a lot of it comes down to I- experience. Um, just cause like, I, I don't know, I've built a lot of games now. So I just remember what I had done before and what didn't go well when I was trying to do prototyping stuff and I avoid doing that or I make sure to do that if mm-hmm. I need to. Sure. Um, and I've, I, I'm having a hard time divulging that in that specific information. It feels like a bunch of really spe- like really specific things. Um, um, that isn't, that is like, it's situational, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so like, I guess for, for instance, um, I make sure like with unity, I guess like with movement, I try to like use if I'm planning on this game being somewhat physics driven, I'll make sure to use like fixed update instead of update um, for the movement of things and use update to like get inputs um, instead. We did that with widgets. Hatch, mm-hmm. um, and I've done that with a bunch of games in the past now, too. But like I didn't do that with with rhythm rumble because that game is not physics based. Um, and so I can just do everything on update. I didn't we don't use fixed update at all. I don't think. Right. Um. So still a couple of technical considerations that you want to 
bring to bear even when you're making a sloppy prototype. Yeah, well, because like those issues, that will cause issues with your prototype down the line. Yeah, two weeks yeah. later. Um, so you want to make sure it, because I have went through that already with other games. I know not to do that now, and so like it's kind of hard to like specifically say do this, don't do this. Right. Um. With with that kind of stuff, because it, it de- depends on the type of prototype that you're making yeah, and for what yeah, purpose. Exactly. Yeah, well, it sounds like the, I mean, kind of what you're bringing up is just development tips. So yeah. basically, so it's not really applicable to the to prototype building. It's just you will be using your same experience and skills and and all the same tips and tricks to making games. You'll yeah. bring that to your prototype. Yeah, which I guess you want to try to avoid um potential bugs that are not easy to fix i guess because you're not going to waste the time to fix them yeah you're not going to waste the time you're not going to want to and you, yeah, you, you, yeah you don't want to do that so yeah yeah so it's about sc- scope and complexity yes and maybe there's a complicated system that maybe you want to simulate or hard code right rather than actually develop properly yeah um yeah hard coding is perfectly fine like if you have if you have a even if your game involves design involves some ai systems you might just want to fake it just to see how it might feel if you do it right yeah. Yeah. Because you're not rather than invent the technology that you're going to later invent in the proper game. Yeah. Um and then and actually that brings me back to this the 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 topic of like making this prototype for the purpose of pitching it to publishers. Um because you can get away with bad code doing that too cuz like the, the the publishers aren't going to see the code. But the you still need to make sure that your code is good enough so that you can make a polished version of the prototype you're trying to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I think I ran into some difficulties with that when I was doing things because, like, I think that the, the AI system that I developed for this game um, uh, was not super great initially, and I had to do a bunch of fixes with it. And I think there's still some things that like, I, I I I rust a few things. I think, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff when I go back to the code, I'm like, why did I do this? It makes no <laughs> sense. I guess that's always the case with coding. But um, I should have commented more. I should have uh, like I'm trying to do that a little bit now. Like I'm trying to comment on things oh, that I know that's I That's a big step for you. It's a big step. <laughs> what I, how I've been, how I've, my habits in, in commenting now is like when I code a thing and I'm like, this is going to be so confusing in two weeks. I comment about it. Um, nice. Otherwise, I'm like, this is. I, I'm probably going to understand this later, and most of the time, I'm wrong about that. But <laughs> <laughs> I have more comments than I did before. Yeah. So to that point, I would, I would yeah. say this might not be applicable to your workflow, but mm. I've gotten to the point where I I comment immediately after I write a piece of code. Yeah. Because I want that lets me work faster. Sure. It 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 frees me of the burden of remembering what I just did. Yeah. Like it could be as much as like five minutes later that I don't remember why I wrote that function that way. Yeah. Or I'm like this way or that way. I'll do it that way. Mm-hmm. And then later, because I don't put a lot of thought into it, then I it, it saves me from remaking that decision. Yeah. Just by quickly explaining it in the comment, even yeah. if it feels really verbose I, I, and unnecessary. I, I do that sometimes too. Like I will um I like type up a function and then I'll put a comment that says this is what this function is supposed to do or how this is how I was planning on doing it and then I'll like come back to it like a couple minutes later when I like add in the variables or whatever that yeah. I need um, so that I don't have to re-remember it mm-hmm. and spend like 15 seconds re-remembering it. And what's great too is that, co- that you'll read that comment and you'll be like oh that's not true anymore right. so it's okay to change this. Yes. Is that something you still do even if you're just prototyping something Fast and dirty and junky. Oh, uh, yeah, I still do that. Sometimes. Well, that's the recommendation I'm making is yeah. like, don't worry about spell check in your comments when yeah. you're prototyping, <laughs> but it, it can help you move faster. It can help you move faster. Yeah. Right. So I think that is valuable. Yeah. It takes, it's taking things off of your 
limited shelf space for working memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but mm. it really does. But help. at the same time, don't comment literally every line of code. Right. Because yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that just slows you down. Right. Knowing that you're going to throw most of this away. Exactly. Like, uh, treat your comments the same way. You're going to throw those comments yes. away too. So yes. don't worry about it. As long as you can understand it tomorrow it's or in, in a month, you don't have to come back to it in three years because yep. you're not going to. Yeah. You know? this, um, this line starts the function. <laughs> this line ends the function. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, so yeah, with, when you're building a prototype for the purpose of pitching it though, like I was saying, it, it serves a different purpose because right. the goal at that point is not to convince yourself that this game is worth making. It's to convince other people that this game is worth supporting. Yeah. yeah. I think what's important, one thing that like we've been working on recently is like we've been working on tutorialization of the game. Some of the people who, some of my coworkers are not directly working on the game at the moment. Um, but we like showed them the game the prototype that we were working on and stuff, and they had some confusion and some trouble points. Um, so we worked on some tutorialization so that the first-time experience was better, and I think that will help with the um, the pitching process as well because people will play it, and then like the tutorial will help them understand what you know they're playing, and then they can use that information to have the experience that we want them to have mm-hmm. um, when they're playing the prototype. Um, so, I mean, it tutorialization is very difficult. I think we had an episode on it. Um, before but it's it's valuable to have it when you're pitching it to people so you don't have to spend a bunch of time explaining how the game works um i mean you kind of did you already kind of explained how the game works during your pitch Mm -hmm. so let the game explain the rest i guess yeah yeah so be be granular in the purpose of your prototype yes Mm -hmm. yeah um and yeah you want to try to make the prototype like a vertical slice of the game so you like you want to um have better art, better sound, better writing, things like that. Like, when not necessarily, they're still not final. When you're prototyping for publishers. When, yes, yeah, specifically yeah. when you're prototyping for publishers. Not, yeah. 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 <laughs> Again, different, yeah, different, different um, purposes. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, when you're, when you're prototyping it for publishers, yeah, you want to make sure that the game looks and feels good in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, you, you're going to want to put some attention to that. Um, mm-hmm. um, and again, I think you can get away with, like, bad code. In the in the prototype you're pitching to, to to publishers because again the publishers aren't going to see it um, as long as that code does not um, you know cause potential soft locks and such make sure to fix those <laughs> uh, yeah right right yeah and I think for a publisher audience you want to um, prove out the things that's in your pitch right right so you're, there's probably going to be things you've tutorial or that you've prototyped yep that are not as relevant to the pitch, but then maybe take up a more of, of the, your actual prototype. Yeah. And, and, and you can sort of either wipe those clean or if they're not, you know, if they're a little less polished, just take them out mm-hmm. if you're just focusing on. And yeah, it, does, it really kind of, it, they are, they're almost entirely different uh, uh, products you have to make mm-hmm. because yeah. they're definitely serving two different audiences. Yes. Yeah. And so it's kind of hard to talk about it. And actually that is probably something we should talk about in the future maybe is like, prototyping for publishers because it is a different avenue of thinking yeah i haven't mm-hmm. had to do that much yet because like prototypes i made were either for myself or i made them for um like my pre- my past job we weren't pitching it to a publisher we just had the money to be able to make the game we were trying to make right. um so i didn't have to think i mean it, i guess he did develop that prototype for the purpose of pitching it to my boss to make it apparent that it was worthwhile to pursue so similar yeah. oh so, yeah i guess now i think about it, it that was similar well, the thing is, is like this happens all the time in games is that in indie games, especially mm-hmm. smaller studios, is that like you you kind of have to double up a little bit. Yeah. Like you can't, you know, 
we're talking about all this code you're going to throw away. Yeah. And it's like, that's the way to do it. But like, you like, you're not, you don't want to spend an extra year prototyping if it yeah. means your game is going to ship a year later. Yeah. And yeah. you can't pay yeah. your staff. <laughs> from sales. Right. You know I mean? So like, there's a lot of like logistical, practical considerations. So yeah. when you're making a prototype for the team and making a prototype for a publisher, maybe those will share the same dirty code base, even if they branch out at some point. Yes. I, in an ideal world, they wouldn't, you'd have a separate process for that. Yeah. But because they share enough, but then you just need to recognize where it diverges. Yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22 because in order to make, you know, in order to get a publisher on board, you need to show them a prototype. But in order to make that prototype, you need money that the publisher would give you. To right. Make. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not a great system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I guess the, these are the aspects. Again, oh, I, I do want to emphasize even further that scope is important. You still want to make sure that the, 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 yeah. the prototype is small. Because the publisher's not going to want to play a 50-minute-long thing either. They don't want to spend all their time on that. Right. It's going to be a waste of your time because yes. like it'll prove it. It just is enough in to prove it to yeah, them. Yeah, right? exactly. You don't know where that is exactly, so yeah. it's easier it, said it, than done. It always depends on the game. But like you know, probably just shorter is better mm -hmm. as best as you can make it so you can get a condensed version of the experience. Yeah. It's interesting that you framing it in uh, your current workflow mm -hmm. at, in the job. I think that will be very familiar to a lot of people yeah. working at studios of the same size. And hopefully it will be very instructive for people who are either going into that situation or are in that that kind of working environment and don't have a framework for building prototypes yet. Yeah. I think yours is a model to follow. Mm. Um, the team I'm on is quite different. Yeah. In that, um, uh, one, we have a publisher already. The, it, we, right. This game was commissioned uh, uh, oh, by, okay. by the publisher. There you go. Because um, it's, it's a, a, the team is proven and it's, you know, it's a follow-on from a, a previous project yeah. and uh, the, the successor to it. So um, that we have, we're free of that burden, um, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But also we're building sort of a, an application framework and then the game is going to go into it. Uh, um, I'm being kind of vague because it's yeah. an unannounced title right now. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, you could probably guess uh, from what I've talked about it so far what it is. But um, our prototyping, we're not prototyping yet. Mm. We've been working on it for months because we're building that framework for the gameplay to go inside of. Yeah. Mm. Oh, but you have the time to do that because you have some funding. That's right. And that's really good. Yeah. 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 I think that's... Really and that's why it's important to, for us to make sure we really have to be careful about about our use of time because mm -hmm. we have a little more freedom yeah and but we need to know we need to and we don't have as much we don't have a model to follow it's a very unique um uh, working uh, situation for building this game in particular okay yeah. it's quite different from others but we, so we have to remember not to just be like oh it's so different so we get we're just going to reinvent the wheel we have to know where to follow best practices mm. and where to move them because their our situation is different. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Like I think that you're just going to have to do a lot of the things that I'm talking about are not necessarily going to be exactly your situation. Yeah. So, by you I mean listener not Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. so like yeah, just like uh, be adaptive. Well, that's yeah. in making quick iterations on your prototypes allows you to be adaptive, right? Iteration is good. Yeah. That's what you want. So, and even when you're you're a prototype to a publisher, mm -hmm. they'll have notes. They'll right? have they're, notes. They're, I mean, yeah. publishers are still they're they're human beings who want to work with you. It's mm -hmm. not it's not bringing it before the king. Yeah, whether a thumbs up or thumbs down, you'll get notes, and then you can make iterations. So like yeah. it's the process is not that similar. Yeah. from pitching internally, it, you know, it's just the you have to craft it differently. But the, the iterative process is still part of it. Yeah, and if you're and if you're talking to a publisher that you want to have a relationship with, who's going back and forth with a couple of meetings, who's wants to to see that prototype, it's quite likely. That they will they will take a look at the second prototype. Yep. You know, if they weren't fully sold by the first. Yeah, they'll come back to you. Yeah. 
So iteration, play testing. Ultimately, just play test more things. Yeah, just do that. <laughs> play test. <again. laughs> it's like it's like the nice games club subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the slow. I mean, Stephen, you should just put that on a hat and just wear it all every day because that's uh, your, your mantra. Merchandise idea. <laughs> play test. I like it. I like it. Play test more. <laughs> Quote from Stephen. <laughs> don't put that on the hat. Right. <laughs> I don't think it would fit on the hat, but on our shirt. Oh. Well, now it feels like we're supposed to be talking about shirts. We're not going to be talking about shirts during this call to action. We're going to talk about past episodes. Yeah, we're, that's fine. We're cutting all this. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we talked a lot about prototyping just now, mm-hmm. but as you mentioned earlier, it was it hasn't been the first time. No, you have looked up some episodes where we've done this before. Episode nineteen, episode fifty-seven, and most recently, episode one eighty-seven. Yeah, we talked about it three times. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we've talked about it in many episodes. Mm-hmm. But that's where we really devoted a, a, a subject to it. Right. And uh, you can find those episodes on our website, nicegames.club, yeah. where you can browse all our past episodes, which is now more than two thirty at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of topics, lots special episodes, interviews, all sorts of stuff. I mean, you're listening to the show. I don't need to sell you on it. But if you're a newer listener, or if you want a refresher. Um, the website is the best way to listen to old episodes. It's the best way to review our show notes. Um, you can cross-reference stuff. It has a you know it's database driven. Yeah. Um, and it's just the best way to sort of get when you get inspired by one of our episodes. We've talked about most things we've talked about in some dimension before or in some r- relational way. Right. Um, and so there's always something for you to find to continue. Uh, you know that topic. If we didn't fully exhaust the topic, you can get another taste by going back in the archives. Um, and also, you were talking about tutorialization yeah. and, and mentioning that we probably talked about it before. I looked it up. Episode 90. Hey! So, <laughs> so check that one out as well. Um, and of course, yeah, all the show notes are there, which is great. So it just serves as a cool library of resources as well. So we, we always want to let people know that it's there for them. And you don't just need to scroll back on your podcast feed uh, to find that yeah. stuff. Club. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, time for my topic, folks. Yes. Uh, this is what we're going to talk about game shows. Okay. Which is really just an excuse for me to talk about Taskmaster. <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> that is totally fine with me. Da, 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 da. I don't know if we're going to get like DMCA. <laughs> so Taskmaster is a British game show. Yeah. In a sense. It's actually, a, it's called a panel show. 
um, folks like Stephen who watch a lot of British television I do. <laughs> know what a panel show is, mm -hmm. but it's not as common here in the US. And basically, it's a cheap way to make an hour of entertainment. <laughs> you, you, get, yeah. you get a bunch of people, you put them on a panel, like, mm. you know, like, like it was a conference or something. And then there's some premise. Um, a lot of times it's like oh, this week's news or whatever. And sometimes they take forms of like light game shows. Yeah. where It's like a quiz about certain things, this or that. Um, and they're incredibly popular in Britain. Um, I think because it just produced, it's an easy way to produce a lot of content. Mm -hmm. My theory that they're not popular here is because we had the quiz show scandals of the fifties oh, yeah. where, and so we have, we have federal law about how game shows work in the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, just because there was a huge public uproar about f game shows that were fixed uh, in order to heighten drama. And so we kind of take, I mean, it's been decades since, but like we have this sort of like cult, ingrained cultural thing to take game shows seriously yeah. in a way. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you ever see at the end of a game show, it says uh, portions of this uh, episode that has not affected the outcome have been edited. That's a legal disclaimer because mm -hmm. it is illegal to edit an episode in a way that implies something other than what was the outcome of a contest. Oh. And it's, it, which is like, why? Like, it's just because there was a big scandal and a bunch of public up or in Congress got involved. And now we're stuck with that weird. It's a game show. Who cares? Yeah. But uh, anyway, so we don't have as many um, of those kinds of things. You can do them here. It's not like it's illegal to do them. Right. But um, culturally, we just don't. But Britain is just lousy with these shows. Yeah. And so this show, Taskmaster, is like a, it's sort of like a panel show. They have five comedians on. And what they do is uh, months prior to taping uh, the, the series, they uh, they have this house that they've rented. And it's just... Um, there's, they fill it with tasks. So they in, uh, invite the comedian one by one. They don't do this together um, to come and um, uh, like they open up an envelope and it says to just do a thing. So yeah. like the, one of the first ones was like eat, uh, eat as much watermelon as possible. Fastest wins or, or most wins in 30 seconds. Or time starts now. Yeah. Like it's just lots of like sort of party game style things. Yeah. Or there's one that's like put all the sand from this bucket into this bucket using only the implements on this table. And they started out with their hands strapped to a, a cork that was plugged into the first bucket. And, <laughs> and if, you, if you moved, it would unplug and the sand would start spilling. Oh, yeah. no. and it's just tons of contrived situations. Yeah. I really like this game show because, mm. one, it's, it's funny because the comedians are trying to compete. Yeah. But they're also being very entertaining. It's very So funny. when they do badly, they kind of play it up. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, so then those, those pre-recorded bits then go back to the in-studio session where they all make jokes about it like a traditional panel show. Yeah. And then they're awarded points kind of randomly. And then, you know. At the end, they get a trophy. Yep. It's, 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 not, it's more of a comedy show than it is a game show properly, mm -hmm. but it's loaded with properly designed games. Yeah. And that's what I really, really like about it. And it made me think about the structure of game shows and how it, comes, how it relates to what we do as game designers and how it's different, and, and, but different only in, by matters of degrees. I think. Yeah. That's my thesis anyway. Sure, sure. So the first thing we can talk about is game shows as games. Right. right? Okay. Yep. The important thing about game shows as games is fairness. Right. Mm -hmm. Like when you're watching a show and a contestant wins and they're not supposed to, you have a sense of injustice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like you do when, you know, you're playing your own party games with friends. Mm -hmm. right. And so that's a really important part of those things. So like, you know, um, there's and there's two types of, of, of game shows as games that, 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 that I'm thinking of. It's like there's the the game shows for achievers and champions where you watch them because someone's doing really excellent stuff. Yeah. So the kind of, whoa, I could never do that. I'm impressed. Mm, yeah. So like uh, the mental version of this is Jeopardy, yeah. right? I mean, everyone thinks they could be on Jeopardy, but nobody really thinks they can win Jeopardy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I would just like, I would completely forget everything. Right. Even, even to answer in the form of a question. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I would even forget that. <laughs> yep. 
there it's very much a um like the per- people who do good at Jeopardy, like you you admire them, you're impressed by them. That's a big part of it. And then there are physical game shows like Ninja Warrior, right? Yeah. You know, other obstacle course style things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Ninja Warrior is probably even though it's goofy, it's like you really do need to be very you know apt physically oh, yeah. to compete yeah. a, a, a thing like that right the comparison to a video game is something like super meat boy like mm. because anyone can play it but really you'd be really good at it it does require a lot of skill right sure yeah. the other type of game show is the sort of the, for every person's right just the mm. regular folk mm-hmm. the the well i bet i can do that or that feels yeah. relatable so yeah. for video games it's like party games right jackbox and the like yeah Mar- um, uh, mario party yeah. Um, the mental version of this, I think, is Family Feud. Oh, sure. It doesn't require any skill to be good at Family Feud, but you still feel cool doing it, and anyone can do it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, and then physical, like, Double Dare, right? Oh, sure. Where, like, you know, I mean, it requires some, you know, physicality, but it's meant to be sort of, f- any, anyone can do it. Anyone can compete. I don't yeah. actually think I know what this is. Double Dare? Like, like when you're playing Truth or Dare, Double Dare no, at a party? This is like was, a show or something. Double Dare was a Nickelodeon game show in the 90s. Where it was two families, and there was a, there was a quiz portion at the beginning, but what everyone remembers it for is the obstacle courses, mm. uh, and oh, with lots yeah. of slime and the, going down slides. And slime. It was very sort of silly, and it was very much um, it, kids' jungle gyms, basically, in mixed in really strange ways. Okay, that does sound um, familiar. Like you go into an inflatable pool full of baked beans or something, and have to retrieve yep. an item. Yep, yep. Um, I remember now. Doesn't it, require a lot of particular fitness no <laughs> it's just a, it's a party game yeah. baked bake beans is a difficult medium to move through <laughs> right. at a certain volume but yeah. at a kiddie pool volume you're yeah, probably yeah, good yeah. yeah yeah so those i think i think very much like video games or board games there's the sort of two dimensions of it like that right right but those are really thinking about game shows as games yeah and so i think game shows do another thing which game shows are spectator sports right Right. That's the, that's the show. Part. They need to be entertaining. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about that that's interesting is the un- unfairness is kind of important to that. Oh, is elaborate. Because, it, because it's drama. OK. It's it's like they were robbed or that person should have won or mm. th- there's some value to that. And I don't mean it's part of the shows necessarily, uh-huh. but that's part of the experience of watching it. Yeah. It's rooting for someone and uh, like a, <laughs> sort of a sense of justice a little bit. Uh-huh. And so that, that's always that's kind of the most memorable uh, game show moments are the ones where someone screws up. Or when someone cheats, you know, there, mm. there's, there's a lot of drama in there. And those those things in America, yeah. it's, you can't engineer those moments because right. it's illegal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but that's part of that's part of an interesting sort of drama that if you do, if you were to make a movie about a game show, it would have to include something like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's true. And so th- that isn't to say that game shows have that as inherent, but it's kind of one of the, it's like uh, people watch NASCAR for the crashes. Yeah. But it's not like NASCAR is trying to get cars to crash. No. I mean, yeah. there are theories, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's kind of part of it. It's part of huh. our. It's part of our conception of that's it. That's interesting because I don't know that I would fully agree. I don't completely disagree with that, but yeah. I don't know that I fully agree with that. I think that, like, it, depending on the type of game, like the game for achievers and champions, like you're mm-hmm. talking about, I think that. Um, a lot of the spectator aspect of it is kind of like it is in the Olympics where you're just watching people be good at something. Yeah. And that's entertaining on its own. Well, that's exact, sort of exactly what I'm getting to. Oh, okay. is, that, is that those two types of games yeah. really in- informs our view of that. Oh, sure. Right? sure. So w- when you see that kind of unfairness on on Jeopardy, yeah. it, then you have like, you know, you have right your righteous indignation about it. Yeah. Right? Okay. When you see it on a, sort of a party game, it's it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. Sure. That element of comedy. Gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there's that, the what's really, really useful on Taskmaster in particular yeah. is the sense of dramatic irony. 
Mm. when you, the viewer, know something that the contestant doesn't. Yes. Yeah. And there are so, sometimes games are done like the, the hidden object games or whatever, where like the viewers reveal or password is like this, where mm. the, the the audience knows the password and then the contestants have to guess and you see them and you see them struggle and struggle and struggle and it's hilarious. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that sense of dramatic irony is pretty important to its sense as, as a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's about, it's about drama. It's about, it's, it's storytelling. Um, and I think that's really interesting because, so all of that is, is to lead up to the proper discussion I want to have with the two of you, okay. which is like w- designing something like this. Designing a game show? And well, yeah, but also designing the things that game shows do and have that, that sense of narrative that's not independent of of narrative in games, like the right. story, character does this, yeah. plot happens here. Yeah. And bringing those elements into the work that we do, board games, video games. Yeah, okay. Um, I think there are lessons to be learned. Yeah, oh, uh, well, I mean, one thing that I think in, 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 in improves the drama of a game show is like, the, the first round or whatever, you get regular points. The second round, you get double points or something. Yeah. You know, there's chances for co- comebacks, I think, are important. Yeah. Being able to manufacture comebacks. Manufacture the ability or the possibility of a comeback. Raising the stakes. Raising the stakes. Yeah, increasing the risks. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff, I think, is important. Like, Taskmaster doesn't actually do that. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I, I guess the point of the game is not points, um, which is fine. Yeah. This, I, I'm so this slightly I, disappointed. So I, this is <laughs> this. I know we're gonna have a difference on this because I, one of the things I, I yeah. like about game shows mm-hmm. is that it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I like I like. I mean, there's like whose line is it anyway? This sort of improv show right. where like explicitly the points don't matter. It's part of yes. the gag. Yeah, even though someone does win, I don't mm-hmm. mean that. Yeah, I mean in in Taskmaster, like the the, the Taskmaster, the host of the show, right. awards points. If it's fastest wins, it's just who did it fastest. Yeah. But sometimes it's just make the best this. Yeah. And and it's a very subjective. Right. And so it's very unknowable how to be good at Taskmaster. It's yeah. actually quite impossible to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And I like that about it. That's fine. Because it means you you can't yeah. you can't it's all the things I don't like about games, which is like I don't I don't think games should be um a skill. I think games should just be an activity. Mm. And so I like the idea that you you don't know if you're going to win or not based on how good you are at it. Hmm. And, and I think yeah. that, I think we ha- I wish we had more of that in video games. Sure. Um, and so I like that about Taskmaster because the thing is the people on that show they're comedians they're yeah. meant to be entertaining. Yeah. But and they've done interviews afterward they really are competing. Yeah. Well, they are trying their hardest. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. like that they're still doing that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it doesn't make the competition meaningless. Yeah. But it doesn't doesn't matter if they win or lose. Uh, See, I know you disagree. With matter that. to whom? Doesn't matter to whom. I guess that's, I, that's the thing I'm having trouble with. It doesn't matter to people watching. Yeah. It does matter to people competing. I guess. Like I the guess. People who are in the part, and I think that's part of why I haven't. It's smart. Uh, uh, like uh, frankly, the way that Taskmaster works is is perfectly fine, and I have issues with it. But only I would have issues with it if I was competing in it. And I think I have a little bit of an issue with it as I'm watching it, but it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. My I think my issue is is that it doesn't. It either doesn't take it seriously enough or takes it too seriously. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it needs to pick a lane. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, it's like trying to be both and none and neither of them at the same time. Uh-huh. Like it just, it, it like they do get points and you do, and they are competing and people take it seriously. And then there's a lot of the, the humor that they mine from the whole aspect of Taskmaster. And I think that's great. And there's a, there's a, there's a, um, the performance of the show yeah. is very much like, we're going to pretend this is a big deal. Exactly. And that's part of the comedy It's like yeah. this, these goofy, silly games. Uh, we're gonna treat them. You know, you're gonna get the big gold trophy at the end. Right. You know, that, that's, that's like even the, the prizes you win at the end. They're all gag prizes and stuff. Yeah. So like it all it all tracks, and I think that all makes sense. But I think that like 
I want it to be less competitive or more competitive. Like I want to take the competition and the point seriously, or I want the comp the, the competitors to take it more seriously. I think they do kind of take it seriously in the moment, but like I, I want more of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, or I want them to just make it like whose line is it anyway? Um, and just not care. But like it, it can't be both things. And frankly, I think if it was one or the other, it'd be a different show. So like I can't really complain about it too much. Yeah. But it's like sure. Well, it's it's a it's a fair criticism. You're not you're not yeah. you're not giving them notes. You're saying yeah. this is what it is, and this is what I don't like about it. It's, yep. You know, you're yep. not asking them to change exactly. Um, but I, I do like that specifically. About That's it. fair. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would also say I like that specifically about it. And I think there, but I think to to go a little bit deeper on what you were saying, Stephen, and also bring back something that you were asking us to do more again, mm-hmm. and then say that it's impossible. Um, <laughs> There are two kinds of experiences that you like. There are different lenses you can look at these game shows through, right? Like one is you're looking at the experience of the viewer and you're thinking about the emotional experience of the viewer and that journey. And then the other one is the emotional experience of the player. Yeah. And I think that the competitiveness on the behalf of like comedians playing as the players in Taskmaster is basically like, I mean, there's going to, even if you took away the points, and the points are just a way to kind of make this a little bit more explicit. So I think that it kind of makes it easier for this dynamic to come into play. Mm-hmm. Really, they're competing on who the heck is funniest. Like, yeah. and they're going to be doing that anyway. Yeah. Right. And that's what happens on whose line it is anyway. Whose line is it anyway? Is they're, they're competing on who's funniest, who yeah, has like right. the best sketch. And they, everyone yeah. knows who that is. Right. Like the points don't really need to be there to communicate that. Right. They're just um, a framework to help set the expectation that there's a little bit of a competitive energy that right, is right. Yes. for the players. Well, the way I put that is they're there to have fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is what games should be. <laughs> right. Right. And, but the audience, like the viewers are there to be entertained yeah. and to watch that drama unfold. I think that the drama is more easy, is easier, is more easily achieved. Mm-hmm. The drama is more easily achieved when there's a little bit of that competitive energy. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but coming back to what you were asking us to do, Marcus, was like, what, what lessons can we pull from game shows and developing games for game shows and bring them into, you know, into the game dev process? Oh, do you want us to have more of the player experience of a game, like being on a game show? Or do you want us to have more of like the spectator experience in the game show? I feel like that is really interesting because, yeah, because like a lot of games are designed for viewership now, right? Yeah. Esports or, or streaming. That's mm-hmm. true. And I don't I don't think that's what I'm talking about. No, I don't. Think but so it either. might just be because that's not I'm not personally interested in watching games. Like I don't watch streaming that often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't like esports, mm-hmm. so it might just be that bias. Is it? But I, I might be talking about a similar thing. I I don't think you are because I think esport like you, esports is sports. So yeah. You watch it for sports purposes, not mm-hmm. for like a game show purpose. Yeah. yeah. And I think when you're watching a um, a, a streamer, you're watching you, most of the time. You're either watching because the streamer is really good at this game, you want to understand how to be better at the game, yeah, or just see somebody re- really good at a thing, which I guess does make sense with respect to like certain game shows. But I think that a lot of times you just watch it for the personality of the streamer mm-hmm. and not the, the game itself. It kind of doesn't necessarily matter what the game is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the I game mean, is just a framework for somebody to perform for you. Right, right. It's the medium yes. to deliver so, the host. Yeah. Yeah. All, oh, dang it. That is kind of what you're talking about, though. Because that's what <laughs> Taskmaster is, sort yeah. of. It is. It's a framework yeah. to see comedians be comedians. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I guess huh. to answer your question, though, Ellen, I think I think I... I would like to think of it more, or at least I would like to explore it more yeah. in terms of designing games for players yes. that take okay. some of these lessons. Okay. I think the other side is also valuable, but I don't, I'm not as interested in that question right now, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think 
one of the things that is um, a common theme throughout some of the games that you've mentioned on this episode and ones that I've seen that I really, really liked is just like this, this, the unexpectedness of the challenge, Mm -hmm. like, and Jeopardy is fun to play Mm -hmm. if you're playing by yourself. Um, I did have a weird experience where I was tasked to try to modify Jeopardy to be a learning game that was content agnostic. Um, so like people could bring their own content to it and put it in this framework. That was really, really hard because yeah. like the mechanics and it was supposed yeah. to be asynchronous and you weren't playing against other people live. And it was, we, had oh, to, we did a whole episode on that. Yeah. We yeah. Did, yeah. We'll yeah. have to put that in the show notes too. <laughs> um, but it was really, really difficult to do mm-hmm. um, because so many of the mechanics and dynamics just didn't match up to what we were trying to do. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, a lot of the game shows that I think do work, though, are ones that have like a really unexpected, like lots of moments of surprise and uh, like unexpectedness. Yeah, yeah. So like the moment in Taskmaster where they're like, they're showing the comedian coming into the room or whatever, and they pick up this, um, the, like the envelope where they see the sheet that has their challenge on it and they're reading through it. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be off the wall and completely unpredictable building up to that moment. You expect it to be unexpected. You expect it yeah. to be surprising. Um, and then building on that pattern might be something that we could take away from uh, game shows into the game design space. Because, like, it's not just Taskmaster, but, like, Family Feud, when you're looking at, when they tell you, like, the categories or something like yeah. that. Or, or it's, like, that that moment uh, into that that moment of revealing the yeah. surprise. The one I was thinking of yeah. is WarioWare. Hmm. It's probably the closest oh, thing. Okay. Because it's, it's, you know, it is meant to be kind of random and it kind of, it's meant to catch you off guard. Yeah. And it has that kind of sense. And you can be crummy at it and it doesn't doesn't bother you because you would give it a bunch of random crap. How good right, are you good at right, it? Right, exactly. But when you're exactly. good at it, you're like happy that you're good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Exactly. Like the the last Taskmaster episode that um, I watched, because Mark, you recommended this show to me and I've started to kind of pick away at it. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like asked to rescue a fake cat from a tree. Yeah. Best rescue wins, whatever right. that means. <laughs> and yeah, not fastest. Not fastest, <laughs> best rescue. I don't, anyway, it was absolutely bonkers. Just the stuff that they, that they mm-hmm. tried. And, the reveal of the challenge was hilarious and they set up the audience to like expect there to be a silly reveal. And then there was, and then the reaction of the comedians was as you'd expect, like, what? and then just, I don't know, watching them kind of flail around at it. was really, really, really entertaining. Yeah. Um, and I think fun f- for them, maybe except for the guy who spent 45 minutes trying to like throw things at the cat in the tree oh boy Um, that's what i love about challenges like that on taskmaster because when they go back to the studio segment and then they they, they explain themselves or or (laughs) argue for why their rescue was the best right yeah there's there's actually gameplay that's happening there which is you know you're playing to a judge right so this isn't something that can translate as easy to a video game but it would like in that case it's like okay explain to me why throwing rocks at the cat in the tree was rescuing it right right (laughs) and then they have to come up with they have to do some critical thinking and problem solving to like shape that into the narrative that they're looking for like, yeah and i like that a lot about mm-hmm. taskmaster and i love the lateral thinking that happens mm-hmm. so one of the best ones was um uh knock all these rubber ducks off this this wall um fastest wins and it, your time starts as soon as you knock the first rubber duck down mm-hmm. so it's just this like uh, three like a uh, freestanding walls with a bunch of little tiny rubber like a hundred of them mm. and the goal is just knock them down as fast as possible and you had to knock them down from behind a certain point but your time didn't start until you knocked the first one down. So a couple of people had the idea that they would rig up the system. So someone put a bunch of rope around all of these things. And then they stood behind the thing. And then they just did one yank. 
and they all fell down at once. Perfect. Yeah. And like that's just I love that lateral thinking. And yeah. that's I that's kind of maybe a lesson I want to pull. And other game shows have this, not many, right? Like quiz shows, trivia shows are fairly regimented, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are some kind of uh, of these games uh, that can that allow for that more creativity that's outside. And I that's hard to bring to video games. Well, I but think it would be really cool if we could. I, I think that's where I was headed with. It, I kind of got a little wandering there, but you brought me back. To, you brought me back to the path, and that is kind of bringing that into like a sentence that you can kind of encapsulate. And I think that is if you if you want to get that game show feel, you have to deal with that surprise. Yeah, like that's that bringing that surprise reveal is one way, and the other thing is the the gameplay has to be based on skills that no one has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like no, no one is. Is no one comes into the studio being awesome and knocking rubber ducks down, right? Like, no one comes into the studio really being great at rescuing fake cats from a pine tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you want to capture that game show feeling, maybe look into those areas and, and put that constraint around your design um, to get that kind of result. Is try to design yeah. something that no one can be good at. So beforehand. we're specifically talking about. How to design a game that's kind of like Taskmaster? Sounds I like told it. You it was an excuse. I know. <laughs> it I sounds know, like I know. it. But I want to talk about uh, like uh, like stealth games, where yeah. stealth games will often give you four different approaches. Right? Deathloop mm-hmm. is like this. Where yes, you it have is. Multiple paths in, and Ellen is making the point that like if if a player has no conception on the skills they need to solve a task, they need to invent how to solve it. Yeah. Which means everyone's going to do it differently. Yeah. Immersive synth, I think, is what we're talking about here, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. And so th- I think that's some video games do that well, but they tend to have a menu of possible options. Yeah. That mean that like I could do it this way, this way, or this way. A, B, or C. I've done A in certain games. I've done B in certain games. I've done C in certain games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what would be really an amazing achievement if, is if a game could allow you that flexibility in approach, but force you to invent your own because there's no uh, existing one. Yeah, they give you tools. You just need to solve the the task with the tools. Right, and so part of the game. This is I love games where gameplay happens off the screen, mm-hmm. where where you're thinking, and that's where the, the the game gets worked out. The strategy gets worked out rather than gameplay just being a pure result of pressing buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think this could be a way to do it. Uh, but I mean, it's it's tall order. But that's the that's why these types of this type of gameplay happens in other medium. You know. Yeah. And I, that actually might be why um, some of the feelings that you're describing with game shows has come to me in cooperative games where you're cooperatively solving a puzzle. Mm-hmm. So like Humans Fall Flat or Human Fall Flat, I can't remember if there's an S, um, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time mm-hmm. or Overcooked are some examples like, yeah, you know, yeah. like you figure out a process and maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't as fun as you want it to be for players, but if you can imagine that being a game show that someone else is watching, like the experience of watching a group try to figure out how to freaking do the overcooked challenges is a lot like some of the the game shows we're describing. That's true. Or like Portal 2 co op. Like there's, you know, I mean, finding exploits in a game, speedrunning strats. Yeah. Most interesting ones are like two player co op ones because. There's the possibility space is larger than the designers can even imagine. Yeah. Yep. And so it does happen in games, but it's usually treated as uh, as as an exploit or a speedrun strat. Right. There's there's more here, I think, that we want to mine out. Yeah. But uh, I'll have to wait for another time. I think we might have to let it percolate a bit. As you were saying, Stephen, when you prototype something, you gotta... <laughs> <laughs> no, that was your meetings episode. Just, just prototype. And just listen, play to, test. listen to everything Stephen says and just think about it and let the wisdom let the wisdom flow through you. <laughs> I very much appreciate that, but maybe not everything. <laughs> I would like to end the episode on that note. Okay. <laughs> That's our show. 
Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics, including previous episodes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback. That's right, nicegames.club slash feedback, and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and prepping for game dev interviews. Or you can email us through contact at NiceGames.Club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes. Join us on Discord by visiting NiceGames.Club Discord. And we are on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. More wisdom from Steven. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.